Hey, GCC family, hope you guys are doing well today. Thank you so much for joining us here online, whether Facebook or YouTube or somewhere else. Let's begin today with a word of prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are you, that you're good and trustworthy and, uh, and that we can count on you to be there for us when we need you. And even when we don't, <laughs> Father, we love you. We lift your name on high and we praise you. You're glorious. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You know, when I was young, my parents loved to take me and my brothers on bike rides. And uh, it would be a, a weird weekend if, if on Saturday or Sunday we didn't get the bikes all down and, and go for a long ride together. And, and Sunday bike rides were always the best because we would always go bike ride to somewhere where we could get a fun treat. But because of where our neighborhood is, we, we would have to ride a long way in order to get to, to a Sonic or a McDonald's to get a fun treat. And when we were little, uh, me, when my parents first started doing this kind of fun tradition, uh, my brother Nick and I, the, the oldest in the middle, were, were, we were big enough to kind of ride our own bikes and make it happen. But my youngest brother was still just a little bit too small uh, to go that far. So my parents purchased this kind of like tandem bike thing. And it was, it was a bike designed for a, for a kid that basically attached to the back of my parents' bike. And then they were able to ride together. And, and Lucas rode behind. And when he got tired, he didn't have to pedal. And then when he had energy, he could pedal and kind of help pro propel them forward. You know, uh, the, the creators of this tandem bicycle understood that people who would be purchasing this wouldn't always want their bike to be tandem. Like they might want to ride it by themselves or, or they might want to store it in an easy way. So they came up with this brilliant way of, of, of connecting and disconnecting the, the tandem bike from, from the full adult bike. And it was basically just like a square peg and a square hole and, and it fit together and then a metal piece went through it. And uh, I was fascinated by, by this as a kid, the, this idea that the whole apparatus, this, this whole long bike was held together by, by just this one quarter inch pin, this, this linchpin, if you will, that, that when it was in there, the whole thing held together and worked and when it was not in there, everything came falling apart. <laughs> fascinating, fascinating, fascinating. With the pin, everything worked. Without it, there would be no tandem bike riding that day. The pin was this key piece. And I think that our lives are full of these linchpins, these, these key pieces. Everything from the physical world, machinery, and, and even our, our, our bodies. Like there's parts of our bodies that you can do without, but there's parts of your body that you, you can't do without. They're, they're, they're linchpins in the, in the systems. Like the heart is the, the linchpin of the circulatory system or, or the brain, the, the, the linchpin of the, the, I don't even know what that system is called, the, the neuro system, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, the, the point being from the physical world all the way to the, the metaphysical or, or, or the spiritual or the philosophical world, like even certain ideas, like they, they're held together by just one key concept. And Christianity is no different. Christianity is just like everything else in the world and has a linchpin. 
If you guys are familiar with the, the Christian creeds of ye oldie, like the Nicene Creed or the Apostolic Creed, those creeds are full of all kinds of content that, that are key to Christianity. Things like there is one God, things like Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, things like Jesus was really a historical person, things like the Holy Spirit it exists and is active and alive. These are, these are core truths to Christianity, and, and they're important, and each one of them is essential. If you don't have them, you, you don't have Christianity. But above all of these, above all of these core concepts is one linchpin, one, one core key concept that is the most important. And we know that it's the most important because the Bible itself teaches that it's the most important. And that is the resurrection, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. In the New Testament, like I mentioned, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, essentially, that if Jesus rose from the dead, we have a real thing on our hands. But if he, if he didn't rise from the dead, we're most of all to be pitied. We're, we, we're believing in a false God and a false Christianity, a false religion. <laughs> that said, today we're going to be continuing in our series in Luke chapter 24, and we're going to be looking at the resurrection and uh, we're going to be asking some really, really important questions of the resurrection. And uh, I just want to take note really quickly of, of the fact that we, we made it, guys. We're at the end of the book of Luke. Praise the Lord. 24 solid weeks of, of going through ch Luke chapter by chapter by chapter. I hope that you've enjoyed it. I hope that you've gotten a lot out of the book of Luke. It has so much to offer. Uh, just a fun fact, Luke also wrote, the guy who wrote the book of Luke, Luke, also wrote the book of Acts. So if you're looking for another book to kind of dive into next and you're not sure where to go, consider reading the book of Acts written by the exact same dude. <laughs> They're actually volume one and volume two, basically. Anyway, um, the, 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 this last chapter in the book of Luke, Luke 24, it's about the resurrection. And uh, my guess is that most of us are extremely familiar with the story of the resurrection. We hear it all the time, all the time, all the time. Praise the Lord. It's a very, very important story, but I, I just don't feel the need to hit it really hard today. I don't feel the need to spend all of our time on it today. We're going to cover it briefly, but, but then we're going to move on. And the, the, the reason that we're only going to cover the, the actual events of the resurrection or, or the actual words of Luke 24 briefly is twofold. It's because you guys have heard the story. You can read the story. Uh, you, you don't need us to, to, to kind of beat the story up theologically and try and pull it apart. Like it, it's a very, uh, for lack of a better phrase, it's an easy story to understand. And the second reason is because the message of Luke 24 can be summed up in one sentence. Jesus rose from the dead, and that's really good news. <laughs> that's, the, that's the point of Luke 24, so we just really don't need to hit it hard. Instead, what I want to focus on today is this. Why is the resurrection important? In, in other words, what are the implications for the resurrection? Why should we care that Jesus rose from the dead? But first, like I said, we're going to just hit uh, Luke 24, beginning in verse 1, uh, really, really quickly, and then we'll move on from there. Here's what it says. 
On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day rise again? Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven who and all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told them who told the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to be to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up, ran to the tomb, bending over, he saw the strips of linen laying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself, What happened? In the verses that follow this in Luke chapter 24, we see this really unique exchange between Jesus and a couple of his followers. Uh, essentially, these two guys are walking on the road uh, from Jerusalem, presumably, to Emmaus. And uh, Jesus walks up on them, and they're not aware that he's Jesus. And they begin this really important dialogue. And Jesus begins to, to walk them through uh, all of the events that had taken place and talk about how the Messiah was supposed to go through all of these things. And all the while, the, the, the identity of Jesus is concealed from them. The guys end up inviting Jesus over for dinner, and when he comes over and they initiate the meal and Jesus breaks the bread, suddenly these guys' eyes are open that this is Jesus, and then Jesus suddenly disappears. Those guys, those two guys decide, hey, we should probably go tell the apostles, the 11, uh, 12 minus Judas, the, the 11, and uh, so they, they go back to Jerusalem, they're telling uh, the apostles what has happened, and as they're telling the apostles what's happened, Jesus shows up in that room. <laughs> and uh, this, this initial exchange between the disciples and Jesus is really, really interesting. Jesus is focused on a couple of things. The first thing is you can hear him saying, don't be afraid. Uh, the, the disciples freak out. They're like, what in the world is happening right now? And the second thing that Jesus emphasizes here is that he is physical um that he's not a ghost that he's not some spirit that he that he's not disembodied but rather that he has a physical body he he tells the disciples you can go and read it he says touch me touch see that i am actually here that i have a body and then the second thing he does is he eats in their presence he's like hey and in case you didn't believe that i wasn't a ghost because you could touch me let me show you I'm going to eat this fish. All that to say, uh, Jesus was really, really cared to show them that he really did rise from the dead. And then, of course, the chapter zooms forward a, a, a chunk of time, 40 days, we know from other passages of Scripture. It zooms forward, and, and, and the book of Luke concludes with Jesus ascending into heaven and the disciples returning to Jerusalem joyful because of what they had just seen. 
As you can see from these accounts in the book of Luke, the, the emphasis, the, the, the emphasis is on this core idea that Jesus really did rise from the dead. Take note of all of the details that Luke decides to highlight that other authors in the New Testament don't necessarily highlight. Take note that, that he highlights that, uh, I mean, some of the things he highlights are other things are also highlighted in other books. But but just look at what he what he focuses on. He focuses on uh, the women showing up to the tomb and the angels saying, hey, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He, he focuses on the tomb itself being empty. Not just the women saw that it was empty, but Peter also saw that it was empty. He, he, he focuses in on this exchange that Jesus has with other witnesses, not just the, the, the 11, the 12, the 11, not just them, but also these other two witnesses. He, he focuses on the apostles also being witnesses. He, he discusses Jesus having this physical body that you can touch and, and a body that can consume food. And it all points to this one core concept that Jesus really did rise from the dead. And I think it makes perfect sense why, Jesus, why Luke would care so much about documenting these things is, is because of how important the resurrection was. Luke was very aware of the implications of Jesus rising from the dead or not. And like I said, that's where we're going to spend our time today. Ultimately, the question we're asking, like I said, is why? Why is it important that Jesus rose from the dead? And, and in answering that question, why, we're going to understand the consequences of Jesus rising from the dead. So, Without any further ado, why did Jesus rise? Why is it important that Jesus rose from the dead? Well, the first reason that it's important that Jesus rose from the dead is because of what Paul already mentioned, or, or what we already mentioned that Paul wrote about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 14. Here's what it says. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is our faith. And then goes on to write in verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Basically, Paul says the resurrection is important because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we're idiots and our faith is pointless. Some of the other translations of the scriptures say we're most of all to be pitied. Our faith is pointless if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. For me, the, the verses right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 are, are really, really important. And ultimately, these verses are the reason that I hang my apologetic hat, my apologetics, just fancy theological word for defense of faith, my, my defense of faith hat on the resurrection. When you boil down, or when I boil down all of my arguments about why I follow Jesus, about why I believe Christianity is true, ultimately, I always find myself coming back to this argument, the resurrection. The, the, I, like it, I like the resurrection for, for two reasons. Because, number one, right here in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul makes it the, the apologetic, the defense of the New Testament. Uh, he's like, if Jesus did rise from the dead, hey, great. If he didn't rise from the dead, we're idiots following a false religion and a false God. And the second reason I hang my hat on, on the apologetics of the resurrection is because if Jesus did rise from the dead, it means that he was who he says he was. And that means, <laughs> that means that he's the son of God 
And that means that his teachings are trustworthy. And that means that if he looks at the Old Testament and says, that's who God is, uh, then I'm, I'm going to be in submission to that truth because I don't know about you guys, but I've never met anybody who rose from the dead and said they were going to rise from the dead. That, that's unique to Jesus. Anyway, I, I've always found this verse really, really interesting. Uh, not just because it's, it's kind of like the linchpin of Christianity. It makes the resurrection the linchpin of Christianity but because it's also, in a way, the self-destruct button of Christianity. I, I think it gives Paul a huge amount of credibility that he would consider all of the possibilities and say the resurrection, if the resurrection didn't happen, then we have no Christianity. And then not only would he recognize the, we, the, 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 the most crucial element of Christianity, he then publicly wrote about it. <laughs> It, it, it gives him so much credibility in my eyes. For Paul, and ultimately for us, it all comes down to the resurrection. Paul knew the, the implications of the resurrection, just like Luke knew the implications of the resurrection. They're, they're dire. If Jesus did rise from the dead, it makes all the difference. And if he didn't, it makes all the difference. <laughs> and it's really easy to understand Paul's argument. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, it shows a lot of things. Okay, so the first thing that it shows, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, the first thing that it shows that it's, it, it shows that Jesus is a liar. Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, he, Jesus said about himself, I'm going to rise from the dead. You can see it all over the gospels. He, he prophesies about it again and again and again. Hey guys, I'm going to rise from the dead. I'm going to rise from the dead. I'm going to rise from the dead. You're like, why did the disciples not get it? It took until he actually rose from the dead for them to get it. Anyway, that's irrelevant. The point is that Jesus says it again and again and again. So if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, that means that nothing that he said was trustworthy. Because if, if he lied about this, then what else did he lie about? So that's a number one reason why, 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 why it's really important that Jesus actually rise from the dead, actually rose from the dead. The number two is just like it. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, it shows that Jesus was not the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. Just really quickly here, the, the Old Testament is full of references to the New Testament Jesus. There, it's full of references to the Messiah. Uh, one or several theologians in the last three, four, five, you know, probably 2,000 years, honestly, have said again and again and again, listen, you can find Jesus on almost every page of the Old Testament. He's everywhere, and it makes perfect sense because the Old Testament is basically Jesus's family history. It's, it's from creation, and it's all pointing and leading to Jesus. It, it comes to a point at the person of Jesus, so it's all pointing there. And there's specific references to Jesus in the Old Testament, or, or more specifically, the Messiah. Uh, <clears throat> like in Luke chapter, or sorry, not Luke, like in uh, Isaiah chapter 9, uh, we, we learn about Jesus' birth. Or, or in Isaiah 53, we learn about Jesus' death. And, and there's all kinds of prophecies all over the scriptures uh, that are specific to who Jesus was. And not just specific scriptures, but but the very nature of the Old Testament points to God, points to Jesus. There's, just let me say that one more time to make sure I said it correctly. The very nature of the Old Testament points to Jesus. The, we learned about types a, a, 
three weeks back when we were looking at Luke chapter 21. A type is, is like a foreshadowing image of, of something that's to come. And we talked about it in the context of prophecy. Like there's like an initial prophecy or an initial fulfillment of the prophecy. And then there's an ultimate fulfillment of that prophecy later. The same thing is true in Jesus's case. There's, there's a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament that, that shows who Jesus will be. A really good example of this is the, the, the story of Abraham and Isaac in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis. If you guys remember, God says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac. Uh, they climb up the mountain. Abraham is about to sacrifice his son. God says, no, and then provides a, a, a ram in the thicket, and they sacrifice that ram instead of sacrificing Isaac. A father sacrificing his son. Does that sound familiar? Or maybe this, uh, God providing a sacrifice in our place. Does that sound familiar? I hope. That's kind of what Jesus did. We, we see Jesus all over the Old Testament time and time and time again. And if Jesus is going to be the Messiah that the Old Testament prophesied about, then he must rise from the dead. There's no way around it. Uh, Paul, Peter makes reference to Psalm 16 as David's prophecy about the Messiah resurrecting in Acts chapter 2. Jesus had to rise from the dead. Otherwise, he is not the Messiah of the Old Testament, the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. And the third consideration is this. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, it shows that none of his teachings are trustworthy. If he spoke about himself falsely, if he said, hey, I'm going to rise again, and then he didn't rise again, that means that nothing that he said is trustworthy. Where would we draw the line at, at, at the things that he taught about morally, at the things he taught about theologically? It would be impossible to know when he was lying and when he was telling the truth. It means that everything that he spoke about is rendered controversial at very best. And, this, and it also renders all of his miracles in question as well. If he didn't rise from the dead, then how did he have the power to cast out demons? How did he have the power to heal the sick? How did he have the power to raise the other dead people? It seems like all of those things would be put into question. Are they tricks? Are they hoaxes? You see that Paul is saying that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, he, our faith is pointless and it makes perfect sense. Why? Because Jesus isn't trustworthy because, because he's not the God who he says he was, who he himself claimed to be. He's not the God of the, he's not the God of the Old Testament. He's not the promised Messiah. But all of that to say, if Jesus did rise from the dead, the opposite of all of that is also true. Because if he did rise from the dead, he told the truth about who he was. And he is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. And his teachings and miracles are trustworthy. Honestly, if you can rise yourself from the dead, then uh, it's probably not such a big deal to feed 5,000 people. That's <laughs> uh, I, I, just one way of looking at it. All that to say that the most, this right here is the most significant implication of Jesus' resurrection. If he didn't rise from the dead, we're following a false religion and a false God. But if he did, then honestly, what other information do we really need? Because if he did rise from the dead, everything that he said has so much more legitimacy. Everything that he did has so much more 
legitimacy. Now, if you're wondering to yourself, well, that's all well and good, but do we only look to the Bible as evidence for the resurrection? Is there any other evidence or, 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 or proof that, that Jesus rose from the dead? If you're interested in walking through that, there, theologians have spent a lot of time proving that Jesus rose from the dead. Obviously, we don't have any scientific evidence, but we do have courtroom-style evidence. Uh, evidence that demands a verdict. And uh, there's a good book written about that very, very thing. So if you're interested in, in walking through that with me, I'd, I, I would be happy to chat about that with you via email or whatever. You can email me, hey, Nathan, what are the 13 proofs of the resurrection? I'll send a document your way and we can talk all about that. Anyway, moving on. So number one, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, the implication is that he is a false god. But if he did rise from the dead, we have something special on our hands. Implication number two is this. Jesus' Jesus's resurrection is not just the crux of our apologetics. It's not just the crux of our defense of our faith, but it's also the crux of Christian hope. Here's what I'm trying to say. Here's the argument. As Christians, we believe that we are going to gain eternal life, that as followers of Jesus, we, we gain eternal life. That's something we're all on the same page on, I hope, John 3.16. Here's the thing. The reason that we believe that, the reason that we know that's going to happen is because Jesus rose from the dead first. Once again, we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writes in verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Essentially, Paul is saying, we have hope that one day we are going to rise from the dead because Jesus first rose from the dead. When we think of the concept of heaven, often we think of our disembodied spirits or souls or whatever word you want to use going into heaven and hanging out with God. And that's what heaven is. Someplace in the clouds where our bodies stay here rotting on earth and our soul and our spirit are with God somewhere. Now, at some level, that's kind of true. I, I, I would say that... that there is a there's I believe that there's a time between when we die and judgment that that is probably what happens. However, our our ultimate hope is not in a, a a lack of a body, not in just a spirit hanging out with God somewhere in the clouds. Our ultimate hope is that God is going to bring His kingdom here, remake the heavens and the earth, and we're all going to rise from the dead. That is the Christian hope. That is what is written about in Revelation, in the end of the book of Revelation. Not this disembodied spirit nonsense. So if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we have no hope to rise from the dead. Ultimately, the, the resurrection is our hope of what is to come. All, both of these things are really big deals. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, our faith is false and our God is fake. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we have no hope of eternal life. It's really big deals, right? But again, the opposite is also true. If Jesus did rise from the dead, we have something special on our hands and we have hope for the resurrection. <laughs> the, I had a professor in Bible college who asked really hard questions. And he kept asking really, really, really hard questions the whole time I was at school. And finally, 
I got like I, I got fed up with him and I thought to myself, is this guy even a Christian? <laughs> and finally, we, we got to kind of the end of our time at school. You know, we were about to graduate and our professor finally asked us, why do you think that I ask all of these hard questions? And, and none of us were really able to offer him an answer. And then he answered the question. He's like, it's because when, ki when people walk into Bible school, I find that they have a really wobbly foundation. They, they believe all kinds of crazy things about Christianity, and, and the crux of their faith is oftentimes, if they're not trained, if they're not uh, well thought out or whatever, oftentimes are just weird beliefs, weird evangelical thoughts uh, that, that just get pulled out of nowhere. And he said, ultimately, my goal in asking all these questions is to take you from this wobbly foundation to a solid one. And the only solid possible foundation is Jesus. Because ultimately, if Jesus is who he said he was, if he really did rise from the dead, then everything else in the Bible, I know this is an oversimplification, but everything else in the Bible kind of falls into place. Because if God can raise Jesus from the dead, can he also make the world? Oh yeah. If God can raise Jesus from the dead, can he part the Red Sea? Oh, definitely. If Jesus rose from the dead, is it possible that God can walk on water or, or calm the storm or talk through a donkey or heal the sick or raise the dead? Yeah, absolutely. To this day, I am so thankful that my teacher forced me to ask those tough questions because he took me from this foundation to this foundation. And this foundation is the person of Christ and the fact that he did, in fact, rise from the dead. It makes all the difference. If Jesus rose from the dead, it gives legitimacy to our faith. It gives us a hope of one day being resurrected from the dead. But there's one final thing that it also implies. If Jesus rose from the dead, it means that he is currently alive. Jesus was the only resurrected person in, in history that we know of who didn't go back to the grave. Lazarus rose from the dead, went back to the grave. That little girl who Jesus rose from the dead, she went back to the grave. If Jesus is alive, we can know him. Our God is not dead. He's not distance. He, distant. He's not disinterested. He's alive and close, and that makes all the difference. <laughs> because he is alive, we can know him and have a real relationship with the real living God, and, and that's the implication that just keeps on giving. If he's alive, we can talk to him in prayer and know that he hears us. If he's alive, it means we can not just talk, but also hear and listen. At the very least, we can listen through his word. And depending on where you exist on that spectrum of, 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 of beliefs about how God speaks, and we have everyone at our church, it also means that he can speak audibly or, or he can speak through visions or, or, or burdens or, or, or whispers or, or through other people. God is alive means that he can actively engage us through prayer. It also means, if Jesus is alive, it also means that, that we can be discipled by Jesus himself. Not by some third-party element 
but by Jesus himself, because he's alive. He's not in the tomb anymore. He's not dead. He's alive and active and desires to be a part of our day-to-day lives. It means that we can have a transformed life because if God is dead, then who's there to transform us? But because Jesus is alive, we can have lives that are totally transformed. Jesus being alive makes such a difference. <laughs> you can see that it excites me. It's, it's so amazing. <laughs> it's good news. Ultimately, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, in my estimation, is probably the best news that is there. Praise him for raising from the dead. He's not dead. He's alive. And that leads me to my invitation for all of us today. And it's really, really simple. Simply this. Don't leave Jesus in the tomb. Don't treat Jesus like he's dead. He, he's alive. In my mind, there's no question that he's alive. And, and the question that you've got to ask yourself is, as you engage with Jesus, as you engage in your spiritual life, have you left Jesus in the tomb? Is he still dead for you? Or is he the risen Jesus? Here's what a relationship with the risen Jesus results in a transformed life, a, a life that bears the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Abundant life, a life that says an emphatic no to sin, a life that says, I'm with you, Lord, on mission, wherever you go, whether that's across the street or across the nation or around the world. It's a life of, of daily up-closeness with Jesus. It's a life of worship and thankfulness and joy and generosity on display. It's a life that makes the living Jesus king and his kingdom the priority. I hope all of those things sound familiar because that is what I and, and, and so many others who have filled this pulpit have said time and time again is what the Christian life looks like. Doesn't it just make such perfect sense that, that the Christian life, that the crux of the Christian life is the risen Jesus and the, the, the core defense of the faith is the fact that Jesus rose from the dead? Isn't that just poetically wonderful? <laughs> The, the idea, the, the, these things go hand in hand. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we can have a living relationship with the living God that actually transforms our lives. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Something that only God could pull off. That said, the resurrection makes all the difference. Without it, we're fools following a false God and a false religion. With it, we have the risen Jesus. We have access to the living God who loves you so much that he was willing to die for you and then rise again. A God who transforms us. With that, let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you are good. We love you. Thank you for the work that you did. Thank you that we can live lives that are transformed by you. Father, I pray that if any of us have not experienced that real transformed 
life, a life of getting up close to you, the risen Jesus. If, if, if anyone listening hasn't experienced that, Lord, I pray that even in this very moment, you would help them to understand that that's something that they can just initiate right here and right now. Just by praying, Lord, I want to give you my life. All that I am is yours. Lord, come and, and, and transform me and teach me how to follow you. Father, we pray for, for more of your kingdom to come and more of your will to be done in our lives and in the world around us. Lord, we praise you that you are the king and you are God. We pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, Grace, uh, it's been wonderful hanging out with you guys today. And uh, I hope that you have a great rest of your day. God bless.